going to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. And the word of the Lord reads as follows. Blessed be the God and Father of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. But we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, Lord, that you may speak to us through your word, Lord, and that you may help me deliver it as you would like me to. In Jesus' name, amen. During the um, <clears throat> second century, roughly 249 AD, a pandemic spread across the whole of the Roman Empire. It affected the city of Rome the most, as it is the case with pandemics, urban areas are typically affected the most. And at the height of the outbreak, it was killing roughly around 5,000 people a day in the city of Rome. And some historians estimate that the plague cut about a quarter of the empire's whole population, causing shortages of manpower, food production, etc. A historian from that time, by the name of Pontius, he writes as follows. He says that afterwards, and I quote, afterwards, there broke out a dreadful plague and excessive destruction of a hateful disease invaded every house in succession of the trembling populace, carrying off day by day um, with abrupt attack numberless people, everyone from his own house, all were shuddering, fleeing, shunning the contagion, impiously exposing their own friends as if with the exclusion of the person who was sure to die of the plague, one could exclude death itself also. There lay about the meanwhile over the whole city, bodies and the carcasses of many, and by the contemplation of a lot which in their turn would be theirs, demanded the pity of the passers-by for themselves. So the bodies were stacked up outside the city so high that they laid there for months, festering at the amount of people who were dying. Now you have to remember that this is second century. So 
The modern science that we have now wasn't there. There was no antibiotics. There was no triage, hospitalizations, and none of that. I mean, medicine was extremely primitive 1,800 years ago. And so you can see how awful a pandemic like this would be in a time like that. Now, we do not know exactly what this plague was. Some people think it might have been an early form of smallpox or Ebola or influenza, but we know of the pandemic or we call this pandemic the plague of Cyprian or the Cyprian plague. And the reason for the name is because Saint Cyprian, who was the Bishop of Carthage at the time, was an early Christian writer who witnessed and documented the pandemic as he lived through it. And Cyprian began to see how this pandemic was not only affecting the whole Roman Empire, but also how it was affecting the people in church. Because you see, you have mothers, children, husbands, wives dying off left and right. And he began to see how people were reacting. And so he wrote a series of treaties of describing the pandemic and encouraging Christians, which were probably originally sermons, but then were written down. And one of the most popular, well-known of these um, writings is one called On the Mortality, referring to the plague. And I like to read an excerpt from it. He says this, Nevertheless, this is a quote, It disturbs some that the power of this disease attacks our people equally with the heathens as if the Christian believed for this purpose, that he might have the enjoyment of the world and this life free from the contact of ills, and not as one who undergoes all adverse things here and is reserved for future joy. It disturbs some that this mortality is coming to us as with others. And yet, what is there in this world which is not coming to us as with others? So long as this flesh of ours still remains, according to the law of our birth, come unto us with them. So long as we are here in the world, we are associated with the human race in fleshly equality, though separated in spirit. Therefore, until this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal receives immortality, and the Spirit lead us to God the Father, whatsoever are the disadvantages of the flesh are coming to us as with the rest of the human race. And so when the earth is barren, with an unproductive harvest, famine makes no distinction. When with the invasion of an enemy, any city is taken, captivity at once desolates us all. And when the serene clouds withhold the rain, the drought is alike to all, and the jagged rocks that rend the ship, the shipwreck is coming without exception to all that sailed in her. The disease of the eyes, the attack of fevers, the feebleness of the limbs is coming to us as with others so long as this common flesh of ours is born by us in the world. And so in Cyprian's day, Christians will naturally ask themselves, why are we suffering? Why do we go through affliction? Why does this happen to us? And the answer the Cyprian, the bishop, gives is that we are humans living in a fallen world born to a corruptible flesh, as with the rest of the human race. And so pain, disease, violence, and ultimately death affect us all 
equally, so long as we are here in this world and we're humans. Cyprian goes on to say, and I quote, Moreover, if the Christian know and keep fast under that condition that, and law that he has believed, he will be aware that he must suffer even more than others, since he must struggle more with the attacks of the devil. Not only do we suffer, even more so, because unlike the world, we must also struggle against the attacks of the enemy, temptations of the flesh, and sin. And so the Christian suffers even more than the rest of mankind, because on top of physical ailments, we also must struggle against spiritual attacks and spiritual ailments. So, in the early church, on top of pandemics and all these things, the Christians were also suffering persecution on top of all of the things they had to go through. And so, one of the common things about the church fathers, if you read their writings, is that almost all of them, without exception, understood that affliction was allowed or even brought about by God in our lives. That is, the mystery that we know as believers is that God is omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful. Nothing escapes Him. Nothing is outside of His purview. All things that happen, happen before His face. Nothing surprises Him. And yet sufferings and pain and diseases happen. And so the attitude of the church fathers, which I think is the attitude that we just read with the Apostle Paul, is when affliction comes, it comes for a reason and a purpose. And ultimately the reason and the purpose is to better and sanctify His saints. And so, one of the mysteries of our faith is that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, and yet affliction and suffering exist all within the sovereign will and observance of God. We often hear or quote this verse that says, All things work together for good for those who love God. It does not mean that all things are going to be good or that all things that happen to you are going to be good things. What that verse means is that all things, whether good or bad, blessings or afflictions, will work out one day together for good for those who love God. God's providence is outside of our understanding. God only God sees the fullness of His plans and the wor His work upon the earth. We don't know why when things happen, why they happen, or why they should happen. Only God knows all things. He brings about all things that happen or allows them to happen, though He could have stopped them. But we all know that in all things, His hand guides them all, leading toward His own ends, His glory, and the eternal blessings of His people. It used to be an old hymn, uh, God works in mysterious ways. You ever heard that? God works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps on the sea. He rides upon the storm. You ever heard that? One of the stanzas says this, Judge not the Lord 
by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. You see, when the providence is hard and frowning, behind it, there's the smiling face of God. Because He can see farther down the road than you can. He can see the other side of the situation where we can only see what is in front of us. And so affliction, when it comes to us, and if you lived around long enough, they will, or to somebody around you, they come for a purpose and there is a reason. And so we go back to our text in 1 Corinthians, I mean 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. Blessed be the God of our Father, Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we, we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, the word here for affliction in the Greek means suffering, distress, or anguish. The Greek word comes from a word which means to press, to crush, as in crushing olives to extract the oil, or to press in. It could also mean to be hemmed or confined or restricted, as in a tight space with no way out. It has a connotation of helplessness, as in you cannot fix it yourself. You cannot work your way around. You cannot apply your skill to get out of it. It is overwhelming. It's helpless. By contrast, the word comfort comes from the word in the Greek, a word in the Greek, which means to come alongside or to help. It's similar to the word parakletos, which is what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter or our helper. And so to be in affliction is to suffer, to have distress or anguish, but it's also to be helpless, to be out of options. You cannot, by your own will or strength, fix the situation. And therefore, affliction necessitates somebody else's help because you cannot do it. And so Paul says that God is the God of all comfort, the God of all help, who helps us or comforts us in all of our helplessness or affliction so that, here's the reason, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Paul gives us the reason for affliction. Paul was a very afflicted man. If you read through the Bible, you read through the New Testament, he was a very afflicted man. And he, without hesitation, says, my affliction is so that I can then comfort others when God comforts me. That's why I'm suffering, Paul says. And Paul has no hesitation in saying that. The reason that it happened is so that I can comfort 
others. If you go down to verse 8, he says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The reasons why God brings affliction in our lives is to make us rely upon Him. Paul says, we suffer beyond our strength, that's helplessness. We despaired of life itself. We felt we have received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Times of affliction make you rely upon God. Isn't that the case? Bad times come. What's the first thing you do that you haven't done in weeks, months? You start praying, don't you? Right? <coughs> you realize you can't fix it yourself because you're helpless, you're weak. And so the first thing you need is that you look for somebody to help you. And in our case, we have the only one that helps, and it's God. So times of affliction brings you back to God, makes you rely on Him. Times of affliction make you realize also how delicate life is. In a single moment, your entire life can be upended. Blink of an eye. You have all your life together. You're a great person. You're responsible. You take care of yourself. So you think. And then your whole life falls apart in a matter of minutes. So times of affliction make you realize or should make you realize how delicate life is and how your entire life can be upended in a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2 says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for this is the end of all flesh, and the living will lay it to heart. It is better to go to a house of mourning. It's better to reflect upon death even than to go to a house of feasting because the living will lay it to heart. Now, not all affliction leads to death, but the principle still applies. Bad times should lead us to reflection and to teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So these are all the things that we as believers should do, but often do not do until bad times come to us and afflictions come to us. And when they come, they push us back to God. It's only when we realize how weak we are is when we begin to rely upon God. Paul made it very clear in many of his writings that when he was at his weakest, it's when he relied more upon God. In fact, God even told him, my grace is great in your weakness. And so, in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Brethren, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and lest steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so affliction, the Bible teaches, 
the church fathers also believed, were allowed or brought about by God for a purpose, for a reason. That's what separates us from the world. For the world, affliction has no meaning. It just happens because bad things happen to people. But to us, they have meaning because we have a God who governs and rules all things. And so when affliction comes, we know they have a meaning, that they have a purpose behind it to make us better. Furthermore, if you remember what Paul says in the beginning, he says, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. God comforts us in our afflictions, so in turn we comfort others. In other words, God's primary means of comforting people is through people. So God's primary means, or should I say ordinary means, of comforting people is through His church. Paul tells the Corinthians, I am in affliction, God comforts me, so that we can in turn comfort you. So the Corinthians are being comforted by God through Paul. So the church of God is the hands and feet and mouth and comfort of God to the world. See, God could comfort people alone by themselves. But companionship must come from somebody. And so the church shares in the affliction of others. This is what Paul says. He says, for verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If, you, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. If you're God's people, you're not suffering affliction alone, or you shouldn't. Because we all share in the same affliction and we're comforted with the same comfort. Because we are the hands and feet and mouth of Jesus. And so the church is the comforter. And how God comforts people is through the church. The ordinary means. Philippians chapter 4 verse 14 says this, Yet it was kind of you to share in my affliction. Paul is writing to the Philippians now. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you send me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and no more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
So how did Christ, who, by the way, has a lot of riches and glory, how did Christ provide for Paul? How did God give his riches to Paul in his affliction? Well, through the Philippians. In turn, because the Philippians shared in his affliction. How did they share in his affliction? Where they provided for his needs. And in doing so, Paul says, My God is going to now supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, God could have sprinkled manna from heaven to Paul. Could have done that. Could have dropped stuff from the sky and landed in Paul's front yard. He just walked out and get it. But he doesn't do that because God works through means and his means are his people. And so God comforted, helped Paul in his affliction through the Philippians, which in turn... For sharing in the affliction, God will provide their needs. God provided for them because they provided for Paul. And God gave to Paul through the Philippians, which in turn now the Philippians, God will supply their need. That's called being the church in affliction. To be the church in affliction is to be there for comfort and to be there for help. Because God comforts us through other people, and we comfort other people because God has comforted us. And so affliction will come into our lives, whether we like it or not. God allows them or brings them about, however that works. Our minds are too finite. We should not seek pain or affliction or pray for it, but when they do come, we should not waste them. Because there are a reason for them. There's a purpose behind it. To make us better saints. To deepen our faith. To cause us to spread our arms and to spread our love toward those who are in need. We may not understand it, but there, there it is. And most importantly, Christ is greater than our affliction. Sufferings and afflictions... Furthermore, are not eternal for God's people. Our afflictions that we suffer in this world are not eternal. The worst thing, I always I said that to my wife the other day, the worst thing that can happen to a saint in this planet is that we die. It's the worst thing. And then we live eternally with Christ Jesus. This is how finite our minds are that sometimes we have loved ones who pass away or tragically die. And we always say, why God, right? Why did you take them? Or why did you take them so young? Little do we know that our loved ones are in heaven probably saying, why God? Why was I down there all that time? <laughs> you mean I could have been here? Way before? <laughs> We're over here saying, why you took him so, you know, so early? And they're up there saying, why they took you so long to bring me over here? I could have been here 20 years ago. This is great, right? That's the worst thing that can happen to a saint in this part of the world, right? And this side of reality is that we die. 
and then we wake up with Christ in heaven, enjoying our eternal reward. And so that's the worst thing that could happen, which is why I firmly believe, I have no proof of this, but I firmly believe, Many times that we pray for loved ones or friends or brothers in Christ to be healed, for God to restore their health or whatever, the most of the time God would concede that for our sake, more than for their sake. Because there's nothing for God to bring a saint home. It's nothing for him, you know, to take him from this world and bring him home. But for our sake, right? Paul even said that when, when one of his companions was sick and he prayed for him because he was almost dying. And Paul says, God have mercy on him, but not on him only, but also on me, lest I'll have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says, God healed him, yeah, for his sake, but mainly for my sake, because I was going to fall into despair. So God have mercy on him because God has no problem bringing his saint home. And so for our sake, God heals our loved one, more so than probably for their sake. So in this life where we live, the worst thing that can happen to a saint is to go with the Lord and have his eternal reward. And so affliction, when they come, are temporary at best, at worst that last for a lifetime, and then we die, and then we spend eternity with Christ. He wipes all of our tears from our eyes, and there shall be no mourning, and there shall be no death, and there shall be no pain. But the tree of life will be in the middle of the city, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves will be the healing for the nations. That's our future. That's what he's promised. And that's the promises that God gives. He always keeps them. And so affliction, when it comes, realize they come for a reason. Realize that they should drive you to God. Realize that we should rely upon him because we cannot fix it. I had that question. Uh, the men have a chat on Messenger. And the question is, what can we do? you know, related to Brother Eliza, what can we do? We don't know what to do. What could we possibly do? I don't know. I'm thinking. I can't figure it out. What can we do? What can we do? We can't do nothing. This called helplessness. It's affliction. Well, the only thing that we can do is that we need a helper, and so we have to rely upon God. That's the only thing that we can do, rely upon God, and then to be there for comfort. To be a help to the family. That's the only thing that we can do. We only can do what we can do, and God takes care of the rest. Affliction drives us to God, makes us rely upon Him, strengthen our faith, deepen our convictions. We see that. I mean, we've seen that in the last two weeks, haven't we? We've seen that in the last two weeks. That's what affliction does. And so, Joy comes in the morning. Now, I'm not minimizing the pain of loss and affliction because I know many times it never goes away in this life. But God has promised us 
one day that He will wipe every tear from our eyes. He will take away our mourning, that He will take away death and pain, and that one day we'll be living with Him eternally forever. That's our hope. And the Apostle Paul says that this momentary time of affliction is preparing us for the weight of a greater glory. And so, as a church dealing with pain and affliction, let us be God's comfort to those who needed, like the Philippians were to Paul, so we shall be to others. And like Paul was to the Corinthians, so we shall be to others, because we are God's comfort to those who are in need and to those who are in affliction. So, you know, one of the things, I had a whole different sermon, as you can tell, before uh, I changed this whole thing. Um, and a lot of that was being a reflection, not only on what's happening in the last two weeks, but what's been happening in my family for six months, it seems like now. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, that I was thinking about in, in reading this is how how weak, if that's the proper word, how little I can do as an individual when faced with these helpless situations. You know, the situation with my father, with my mom, you know, it, it just made me realize how little I can do. Because I, I can solve it, right? Something breaks around my house, I'll fix it. Something happens with the van, with the car, I'll tell my wife, all right, I'll take care of it. But when something like this happens, I can't take care of it. And I do not even know how to even begin to try to think about taking care of it. And so I feel like I'm at a loss. I don't know what to do. Because I feel like I could do something, or I should do something, but I can't. And so I have to sit back and rely on other people which brings in frustration because, well, why haven't they done this? Why didn't you tell them that? Why haven't, you know what I'm saying? So you get into the frustration and you get into the anger and you get into all these things because the trial of our faith produces patience, which I do not have patience, right? But affliction forces you to have patience because there's nothing that you can do, you know? I wish I could kick the door of a hospital and just fix things myself, but I can't do that. I'll probably kill the person. I would likely kill the person if I did that. But affliction forces you to be reliant on others, primarily to be reliant on God and to take God's will as it comes because many times you cannot control it. And so we, that's why in the scriptures, I believe it tells us that we cry with those who cry and we rejoice with those who rejoice. We accept God's will as it comes, right? If, if, it's, if it's crying because of a loss, we have to take it as it comes. And if it's rejoicing because of a, of a miracle over healing or a blessing, then we rejoice. We take it as it comes because it's God's will that brings all these things about for our benefit 
because it all is going to work out for good in the end for those who love him. So, anyways, um, joy comes in the morning. And so rejoice because joy comes in the morning. Whatever it happens, joy comes in the morning. And one day, the bright morning star will make all things better. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for every single one of your promises you give us here because they're yes and amen to us. They're true. They're real. And we hold to them, Lord. We pray that you give us faith in moments of affliction that we may be able to believe your promises that you give us, Lord. And we may be able to trust you even when we don't know or understand what is happening. We believe, Lord, your will is greater than ourselves and that you has or have our best interest in mind, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, Lord. The suffering servant suffered for our benefit, Lord, that we may have eternal life and an eternal reward with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.